unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and I've got a guilty admission to make for the audience. A lot of times when I'm struggling with something in my copy, I take advantage of our friendship and our working relationship because I get free mentoring advice from you. And today is one of those chances where I had, a, I had something I was struggling with, and I was like, I wonder if I can convince David to give me free advice, and hopefully, uh, hopefully it'll turn out to be some good advice for the listeners as well. Well, Nathan, you're just a rascal. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, it's... no, you, you asked this. I thought it was a really good question because I was thinking, I've been thinking, I don't know if this makes sense, but I was, I've been thinking around this topic for a long time and you just hit the freaking nail on the head. So it, it was really, it's okay. Okay, nice. So uh, I, we kind of teased what we're going to be talking about, maybe, but uh, let's go ahead and just jump into this week's episode. All right. So, you know, you start thinking about this stuff and all kinds of, you know, you buy a blue car and every car, you notice all the blue cars. And so I was thinking about this after you asked me. And the other day I saw this commercial on TV for the Shark Navigator. It's a vacuum. And it brought to mind something that happened years ago when I was a kid. I was seven at the time. This was when dinosaurs still roamed the earth. It was during summer vacation. I was seven, remember? And I was sitting around the living room playing with my new Etch-A-Sketch. My mother was at the front door talking to a vacuum cleaner salesman. She was asking him a lot of questions. And my mother loved to put salespeople on the spot with gotcha questions. So she launched into the one I I figured she hoped would be the last straw for him. So that when he heard it, the guy would throw up his hands, go away, and leave her alone. Now, you're probably wondering, Nathan, you're probably wondering how I was able to track all these intricate interpersonal dynamics and subtle conversational moves when I was only seven years old. Well, I was precocious. And then this is a reconstructed memory. So I could be remembering it differently from how it actually happened. Anyway, uh, she asked him, Mr. Will this clean a concrete floor? Because we have one in the basement. And if your Fakakta vacuum cleaner doesn't work on a concrete floor, I'm afraid I'm just not interested. Now, a lesser salesman would have caved and, you know, put his tail between his legs and gone home. But this guy kept his cool and he said it would clean the basement floor. And then he invited her to join him downstairs in the basement to see for herself. Of course, after they went, I checked in them myself to see what they were really doing. (laughs) Because, like I said, I was precocious. But it turned out he really was showing her a special attachment that cleaned the concrete floors. And he showed her how it worked. And I could also hear the vacuum cleaner sucking in the gunk. It was filthy down there. Now, I know this feature was important to my mother because my father had his workshop downstairs. And he wasn't exactly a neat and tidy guy. The dust and the wood shavings and the drippings and the soldering iron all over the concrete floor drove her crazy. Anyway, satisfied that nothing bad was going on, 
I went back to playing with my Etch-A-Sketch. And soon they were both bustling up the stairs, headed for the kitchen table, and it wasn't long before Mom was signing a contract to buy a new vacuum cleaner. Now, this story is interesting to me because Mom had one objection, and she thought she could use her objection to get rid of the vacuum cleaner salesman, and if he hadn't been able to satisfy her with his answers, he would have been out of there in the jiffy. He would have been history. But because he was able to answer the objection, concrete floors, and he was able to prove it by demonstrating the special attachment that lets the vacuum clean a concrete floor, he got the sale that she thought he would never make. Now, what happens in face-to-face selling is remarkably similar to what happens when you're selling something in an ad and web page with one difference. You don't get to hear their objections. You kind of have to know what they're going to be, and we'll talk about that today. But once you know them, often the only thing that stands in the way of you making a sale in your copy is how you answer that one objection, or maybe there's more than one, the objections that matter most to your prospect. And we'll talk about how you do that too. But first, I know you'll have no objection when I tell you that copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in the highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Can I cut in real quick? Of course. So this is a mistake I see newbie copywriters make all the time. And it's the concept or the idea that I just want to focus on the benefits. I just want to focus on the transformation. I don't, I'm worried that if I bring up the objections that they might have, I'm going to get them negative thinking. I don't know how to handle those objections. I don't even want my, my prospect thinking about those objections. So if I don't bring them up in my sales copy, they won't be, uh, they won't be weighed in to the buying decision. What do you say to copywriters that just ignore the objections because they don't want to be the person to bring the objections up because they hope that uh, if they don't bring it up, the person won't be worried about them? Rookie mistake. That's what I say to them. But I also say it's like a tennis ball. You know, If you have a tennis ball that has a big hole in it and you try and bounce it, it'll just stay on the ground. But if it's a normal tennis ball, it'll bounce back. So when they throw down their objection, that's like the tennis ball. But if you answer the objection, it bounces right back and they're ready to buy. Okay, nice. Perfect. Okay. So let's let's sort of take the 30,000 foot view for 30 seconds and talk about what objections are and why it's so vitally important that you know them and overcome them. See, once you have stimulated, awakened, or created sufficient desire for your product for a qualified prospect, then really objections are the only thing that stand in the way of that prospect making a purchase. And objections take different forms, questions, doubts, confusion, and sometimes all and all out and out opposition to buying what you're offering. The, the simplest way to look at objections are the reasons people won't buy. 
Another way to look at them is sometimes there's just one main objection. And once you solve that one, it will get the prospect to buy. Like with my mom and the concrete floor and the vacuum cleaner. So here's the key takeaway. When your prospect is truly qualified and really wants your product, then if you get rid of the objections, you'll make the sale. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the, or the uh, vacuum salesman, he had the ability to actually listen and hear the objections on the fly. As copywriters, we don't have that ability. How do we find out what objections our prospect might have when we don't have them face-to-face, they're reading our copy rather than talking to us. Okay, well, um, if, if we sort of straightjacket our image of ourselves as copywriters and I just write copy, I do not look to the left, I do not look to the right, I just look straight ahead and write copy, then that's a problem. But uh, there is another option, and that is to actually try and sell it yourself, to get in the phone or knock on a door or go to a meeting and try and sell it. Um, That's absolutely the best way to find objections. People who do that and pay attention and record it find things out. Now, there's another way. Sometimes our clients are also very um, marketing aware. sales aware. I can think of one of my mentoring clients I was talking to earlier this week who sells a seminar. Um, the, the client is not just a trainer. He's actually a very, very successful entrepreneur in a certain field. And I'll keep this vague because I want to protect confidentiality. But the, um, the, the client, the entrepreneur, the market, not my client, but his client, knew that there was one complaint that people said, what you're doing won't work in today's market conditions. And so my client very, very wisely put that right up in the headline. We'll talk about headlines a little more later. But um, I mean, I don't know how that's going to do, but I can tell you it's got a much better shot of success than anything else. Because if so, the the best way to find the objections is either You, as the copywriter, talk to customers, which you should be doing anyway. And you can even talk to them after the fact and say, what were your concerns before you bought? And if you start to hear the same thing over and over again, you'll know you've got objections. Or you can talk to your client. Or if your client is a larger organization, you can talk to their sales team or their sales manager or a salesperson, individuals. So um, that's the, that's the very best way. Now, I, I know that's not always possible. It's not always going to happen. So the, the, there are two other things you can do. There are usually just a handful of objections that occur over and over again. How much does it cost? How do I know it's going to work? Two questions here. How do I know it's going to work? And how do I know it's going to work for me? People will say, yeah, that'd work, but I'm not the kind of person to work for. So that's, that's a real question, especially when you're selling a device or a course or a training method. So th- there, there are a handful of objections like that. And let me see if I can... Maybe you know some, Nathan, right? You do? Actually, yeah. I just finished reading uh, Russell Brunson's new book, Expert Secrets. Mm-hmm. And the book 
is a thinly veiled sales letter for ClickFunnels, which... What a surprise! <laughs> right. Wow. But one thing that he does, he dedicates almost a third of the book to overcoming the objection that a lot of his audience are going to have, which is, I'm not qualified to actually sell an info product because ClickFunnels helps people sell info products. Well, if people say to themselves, this seems like a great software, but who would want to buy my information? Who would want to buy my knowledge? Um, The biggest objection that he deals with, and you can tell by the way he constructs the book, is I'm not worthy. And uh, that's, I think, a big, a big objection that a lot of people have is if you, pre- if you present them with some sort of opportunity, even if it seems like the best opportunity in the world, if they don't feel like they're worthy of the transformation, they're not going to take action to actually go out and make that transformation happen. I, I think you're right. Um, another word, not in this situation, but maybe in other situations is capable. I'm not capable of doing this. I know it would work, but it would have to be for someone who's capable. Same, same idea. So, uh, you know, there are these handful of objections that always occur. You can also find things out from research. You can look at especially reviews and comments on Amazon and on other sites that have user comments. You can look in forums. You can even look at stuff on Facebook. Just try putting out a positive idea and people will tell you all the reasons it won't work, right? Um, it's it's almost like being with your family at Thanksgiving if you're an entrepreneur. And you could do it every day. It's like you don't have to wait, you know? So, yeah, I mean, you, you can you can find thing, you can find it out and you'll you also may get emails especially when people email you or or your client with questions. That's a sure sign that you haven't covered something in your copy. There's something that they're worried about. Okay. Okay. Nice. So let's let's talk about how we can actually handle objections in different areas of our of our sales copy. Okay. So let's start with the headline. There's basically one situation I can think of where you're going to answer an objection in in your copy. I mean. So like the example of, of the seminar and, and the multimillionaire entrepreneur that one of my clients is writing copy for, that, that's an example. Let me, let me give you something a lot more specific. Um, if you have a market that already knows about your product, is considering your product, and one or more competing products, and they're not buying for one main reason, and the reason is so overriding and overwhelming, and they're aware of that reason. They can tell you, the market can tell you that reason if you ask them. Everyone will be interested in what you have to say if you can jump right into your overcoming that objection immediately in your copy. I'll, I'll give a very specific example in a second, but let me tell you where you can, where you can go to figure out if you're in that situation. First of all, you got to know your market. You got to know what they talk about. And for breakthrough advertising fans, this is stage two of customer awareness where the prospect knows about your product, but doesn't want it yet. There's one objection. You can put that in your headline. Or in stage three, where prospects want what your product does, but they don't believe any product would work because of this objection. They don't even know about yours yet. So if there's a common complaint, objection, fear that's holding people back from buying your competitor's product and you found a way to make your product better. 
so people won't have that objection. You can put it in the headline. I like the example of BMW back in the 90s. Now, these days, this, this is no longer the case, but at that time, all the other luxury car manufacturers made their customers come in to their dealerships for expensive scheduled factory maintenance if the customer wanted to keep their factory warranty intact. So you would buy this car, you'd be paying, you know, $800,000, $1,500, $2,000 a month on a lease payment or on a, you know, loan. And then you'd have to go in every three months and pay a few hundred or a few thousand dollars just to keep your warranty intact. It seems crazy, right? But it was the way they were doing business and they were selling other cars. BMW did the opposite at the time. They said, all maintenance, no charge for the first four years you own the car. You just bring it in and we'll go over it, check everything, fix anything that's wrong, give it back to you, and you don't owe us a penny. Now, that's answering an objection. I mean, I, I only saw TV commercials for it. I never saw it in an ad. But if you're writing an ad or a webinar or a, um, a sales page, you you would put that information right in the headline. You know, never pay a penny for for scheduled factory maintenance. We'll pick up the tab. You could do something like that, right? So that's that's the only time I can think of when you would use it in a headline. There may be others, but not that I know. Of, okay, that's a, that's a great example though, because if I was in the if I was in the market for that type of car at that specific time that would be one of the things that would be definitely weighing against me making that decision. And if you just came right out at the very beginning of your sales letter and said that right at the beginning, it really wouldn't even matter what the rest of the sales letter said. I'd already be ready to buy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, back at that time, maybe you didn't have a lot of money, but even, even if you're a multimillionaire, you'd just be pissed that these guys were holding a gun to your head, you know, after you'd spent all this money to begin with. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's look at other places that you can answer objections. I want to take a moment to point out how vitally important headlines are in copy. As you may already know, the strength of your headline accounts for up to 80 or even 90% of the effectiveness of your ad. Think about that. What if there were a way to shortcut the headline writing process and start a new headline based on a proven winner? Well, there is. It's all in my book called Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. This book is available now on Amazon.com. Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. What's unique about this book is it shows you exactly how to adapt a proven winner to your product or service because I show you 10 adaptations for each headline in different niches and explain the psychology of how to adapt a headline. Advertising headlines that make you rich in hard copy and Kindle formats on Amazon. Now, back to our show. Overcoming objections with your guarantee. You can overcome objections. There are a couple of objections, probably not like the big one, but more like You know, when you're about to buy something and there's this hovering anxiety, is this the good decision? Am I going to get screwed? All of these kind of, you know, thoughts come up in your mind. Uh, It it happens to everyone. And um, it's, it's sort of 
trying to protect you from buyer's remorse, you know, your own mind trying to protect itself from buyer's remorse. So there are a couple things you can put in your guarantee. And I'm not going to give you the exact language, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, what you need to cover. Um, what you need to cover is the buyer's fear. What happens if this product, this service, this app, this whatever, the information in your course doesn't work? Am I going to lose all the money? So if you just say, your satisfaction guaranteed, 30 days, we'll probably refund it. That's one thing. If you say, if this doesn't work for you, if if you don't have like the most beautiful metatarsals anyone's ever seen, um, just let us know and we will promptly and cheerfully refund your money. You don't risk a penny. You, you see the difference? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that would only appeal to people who are really concerned about their metatarsals, but um, it's just the, it's an example. Uh, so guarantees can overcome last minute resistance to buying, fear of making a decision that's too risky. Now, you know, bullet points are really powerful and important part of of your copy, but I don't think they're a good place to try and overcome objections, and here's why. People don't always read them. They skim. And so, you know, you have to think, and I may want to do a whole show on this sometimes, Nathan. We probably ought to talk about this offline, or we could talk about it now. Um, on what job does each part of the copy do? Because they really do different things. I mean, altogether, their purpose is to get the qualified prospect to take action, usually to buy something. But it's like the copy your your copy is a team of different players and each player like a headline or an open or a story they all have different jobs anyway the the job of bullets is is basically to take the product apart slice it and dice it and look at the benefits of individual aspects of it and so that's it's just not the best place also the it's for for answering objections also you may need more words more space than you'll get in a bullet not always but sometimes you may need to develop a bit of an argument or an explanation or tell a story or do a comparison and bullets bullets are supposed to be concise so not a, not a good place now I think when we were talking about this, you said, what about FAQs? Yes, absolutely. It's one of the best ways to overcome objections. This is, this is where you need to be a good listener before you write your FAQs. If you really pay attention to the words people use, how they phrase their objections in real life, and this is just as important, not the individual objections but the order in which they appear the order that that people ask the questions so you don't have to be a parrot you don't have to mimic it exactly but if you can order or sequence the questions in a way that seems to have a logical flow to the reader meaning the order in which a person would ask these questions in a real life conversation then your FAQ can dissolve or at least resolve any remaining objections. Mm. 
one thing that I've discovered about FAQs is a lot of times just using them to qualify people to say, if somebody is not the right fit, to let them know clearly this is not for you. That way, for the people that are the right fit, it, it has a lot more credibility when you say this is for you. And if you're worried about this one thing, this is why you shouldn't worry. I've already told you, if I didn't feel like this was the right thing for you, I've already told you um, why. And if I'm still saying that this is the right thing for you, based off of my answers to these questions, those, those tend to have a lot more weight. So FAQ sections, personally, when I write copy, the majority of when I'm trying to overcome objections is during the FAQs because also it feels the most natural. That's where you say, well, these are the objections that I usually get. And here's the, easy, the easiest and most common sense response to those objections. I, I think that's good overall. And that's also a good strategy to, to qualify the people by disqualifying the people who it's not for. There, there's a couple of other uh, things that I'd like to get into quickly before we wrap up. Um, one is stories. You can use stories to overcome objections, not literally. I mean, not directly. It's an indirect thing. It's more of a persuasion technique. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to explain this in, in a short period of time, but if you can tell a story about someone that the prospect can identify with, who, a person who didn't think that this would work for them, but they were qualified, they had these characteristics and they had these abilities that weren't fully developed and they had the desire and they went through this program and they were amazed, man, that is, that is as powerful as any logical or literal explanation. And the other thing is testimonials, you know, um, let me, oh, here, let me look, let me find one right from my files. I didn't think I could write copy at all. Then I started getting mentoring with David Garfinkel. Now I am beating all of the A-list copywriters everywhere in this world, in the universe, and other universes. So, um, okay, I made that up. But you see, a testimonial like that is, is going to be very powerful. Now, there, there's something you posted on Facebook, not about objections, but about something else that prompt me to think, how can you preempt objections or how can you weaken their force even before a person sees your copy so that when they see your copy, they're going to be a lot more likely to buy into what you're saying. One thing you can do is, well, it's one thing. It's, it's one thing. There are different ways to do it. Um, and, and the, I think the best way is the thing that most direct marketers used to hate these days. It's a little less black and white, a little less definite, but it's, it's branding, but it's, it's not branding like coming up with a fantastic logo, you know, or a pulled out of your ass slogan. That's so clever that the people on Madison Avenue are jealous of you. It's, it's more like showing up online or at events, on Facebook Lives, you know, on, in Facebook making comments so people are familiar with you. Appearing to be everywhere at once. 
that's that's a very deliberate and you know uh time time suck marketing strategy but man does it work people feel like they know you before they've met you right so that's the um the best way the second way is simply the good old Jeff Walker style launch sequence that builds trust and familiarity over time you know when when there's something that that you've been exposed to repeatedly if you don't feel you've been burned by it you you tend to trust it more if it's familiar so you had a facebook post about connection mm-hmm. uh it was like within the last week or two and i thought you man that, that's it you know and and then a a good friend of mine said he um we were just sitting right at the table i'm sitting at now we were talking about a number of factors i it 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 might have been about musicians and and performances and you know what makes audiences really appreciate and he said connection is everything so you know how do you create that connection when you're in one city one state one time zone one country and someone else is somewhere else and those those are two ways just the the publishing content being in a lot of different places different platforms and then also a launch sequence where they get to know you over a period of days or weeks um, before you actually pitch them. I'm going to add my two cents to that. I think mm-hmm. that when I'm writing sales copy, I try to really put myself in the position of the person reading it. Mm-hmm. And if I can pull that off, if while they're reading this, they're saying, yeah, this person really gets me. Or they're saying, wow, I'm so glad that this person was able to put that into words because even I wasn't able to express how I felt about that until right now when I read them expressing the way that they feel about it. If you can create that connection by, by when they read this, they say, this person gets me. This person is coming from where I'm coming from. This person understands the way I see things, the way I'm feeling about things. If you can create that connection, and it's, it's an overall thing. It's not just a simple tactic. It's a feel that has to kind of encompass the entire piece of copy. But if you can do that, that right there will go miles as far as getting people to actually want to do business with you because people, people yearn for connection. And when you, when you offer people a sense of connection, when you offer people a sense of belonging, um, it's just one of those psychological things. People will go out of their way to return that favor. You're right. I. I think that's right. I mean, yeah, ultimately that's that's more powerful than the other two things. Yeah, I mean, I I had a coach who told me in 19 19 years ago now uh that the thing people want most crave is to feel understood and if you can make them feel that way when you're reading a copy, man. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. So Another fantastic episode. I think I think this one went a, a little bit deeper than most of our episodes. Um, what do we have coming up next time? Next time, creativity versus implementation. Mm, okay, I can't wait. David, thank you so much again. I started off the show by saying I feel like I take advantage of our mentor-mentor-mentor-mentee relationship sometimes by probing these out of you but um i feel like we delivered some really awesome content for the listeners today 
Well, I know somebody who likes Starbucks cards. Okay. Just kidding. No, this is, this is great. It was a really good topic. Uh, you got me thinking, and um, I was glad to do it. So thank you. Awesome. David, again, fantastic episode. Listeners, make sure you're checking out the Copywriters Podcast to get, your, to get more of your podcast fix. And uh, you can find that over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we'll see you later. See you later. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode.